There is one thing that keeps human government from operating optimally. There is one thing that dooms human government to an endless cycle of futility. There is one thing that human government is designed to suppress. That one thing is your individual greatness. That's right. You have a greatness to you. You have a greatness in you, and it comes from your uniqueness. And not only does it stop government from functioning properly and dooms government to failure, that same uniqueness is the one thing that makes it possible for you to function and exist in God's perfect plan. And we will talk about that on this week's episode of the Faith by Reason podcast. Welcome to the podcast. The website behind it all, as always, is faithbyreason.net. Please check it out. Please subscribe to Faith by Reason. It'll just take you a minute to put your email into the right navigation area. Go ahead and do it. I'll wait. Actually, I won't wait. We have a lot to cover in this podcast, but please do it as soon as you can. I will greatly appreciate it. Okay, so in this podcast, we will, we're going to wrap up our discussion of the third dispensation, the dispensation of Babel. And the reason we've been exploring this dispensation is because every part of our human society and our community began with Babel. And we've spent the past several podcasts talking about organized religion and government. These are the top influencers of, of our current society and our current communities and all of our all of our human interactions. They all began in Babel, and we want to I wanted to explore their origins and how they affect us as it relates to the Bible and God's plan. And in the last podcast, we looked at human government. And uh, we saw that human government is basically man's attempt to, to recreate the conditions of Eden without God. In his fallen state, man doesn't want God, but he still wants Eden. He wants the perfect community. He wants perfect provision. He wants perfect fellowship and perfect rule over creation, but he can't do that without God. And the reason that human governments always fail and will continue to always fail is because they require perfect human beings. They require perfectly moral man in order for all of man's utopian government ideas and philosophies to work. We looked at that in the last podcast. So uh, please, please check that out to get more information there. But one of the other reasons that um, governments fail is because the people, the few people who decide they want to rule us, the kings and queens and dictators and parliaments and congresses and politicians and all those, that those few people, that less than 1%, that fraction of 1%, they're not the only people who desire to rule. All of us desire to rule. We are all the descendants of Adam. Adam and Eve were the kings and queens of the earth, which means we are all royalty. We all have Adam's blood in us. We all have the desire to be kings and queens, but we can't Everyone can be king and queen. We all we have to have subjects. So the people who want to rule government, they want to be the kings and queens and the rulers. And they want the rest of us to be their chattel servants, the unwashed masses. But that never works because, again, our desires to be the kings and queens of our own universes, our own worlds can only be denied for so long. And then there are rebellions and civil wars and things like that. And one government's overturned and another government comes into power and the cycle repeats itself over and over again. But there is one other very important aspect of humanity that makes it impossible for us to be ruled. And we're going to talk about that in today's podcast to wrap up the Babel series. There is a saying which goes like this. Uh, Great men can't be ruled. That's a saying I tried to use with my parents when I was a teenager to, whenever they tried to tell me to do stuff. It's something I always bring up when, when I'm pulled over by, by the police, but it just never seems to work. It never worked with my parents. It certainly doesn't work with the police. But it's actually true. It's not just a, a, a cry of rebellion. 
great men truly can't be ruled. And since the governments want to rule us, since it's the goal of man's government to rule all of mankind and great men can't be ruled, then that means that whatever great men and women, whatever great people are, they are a permanent um, detriment to human government. So let's look at what greatness is. Greatness is basically, it basically means you are able to do something better than other people. Anyone that is great is great because they do whatever they do. They have a combination of, of skill and experiences and just inherent ability that makes them better than other people at whatever it is they do. For example, lots of people play basketball. Go to any park uh, with a basketball court, you'll see people playing basketball. But the great basketball players are in the NBA. Um, lots of people can cook. Tons of people can cook. But only great cooks actually become chefs and have restaurants or become celebrity chefs. Lots of people can lead. A lot of people have the ability to lead others, but only the great ones become CEOs and generals. There are a lot of people who are mechanically inclined and who are very handy, but only the great ones become inventors and engineers and change the world like, uh, like uh, people who, like the, the guy who invented the Tesla Motors, Elon Musk. And lots of people can lie. But the great liars become politicians and lawyers. And yes, you are right. It is virtually impossible for me to go an entire podcast without ripping on lawyers and politicians and celebrities. So there we go. I'm sure I'll find a way to, to rip on celebrities later to, to get the trifecta going. That's part of my unique greatness is doing that sort of thing. <laughs> okay, but, but in essence, greatness is the rare. It's the different. It's the exceptional. See, great people are great because they have a combination of skills, abilities, and gifts that are, again, not shared by others. In other words, great people are unique. That is very important for the purposes of this podcast. Great people are unique, and they have the ability to operate in their uniqueness. And when anyone operates in their uniqueness, they can be great. But the thing is that great men desire to rule or control their own lives so that they, and I mean men and women, when I say men, I mean mankind, so I'm not being sexist here. I mean, women can be great too. Just mankind, great men and women, great people desire to rule or control their own lives so that they have, so that they have the freedom to operate in that uniqueness and be of value to themselves and others. You can, you can only be unique if you have the freedom to be unique. If there's anything there that, that suppresses your uniqueness, then you can't be great. But you see, the subjugation that's inherent in human government, which we talked about in the last podcast, is antithetical to that kind of freedom. It actually limits that freedom, and it's designed that way. It's designed to limit, to limit freedom. Why is that? Because in human government, in flawed human government, only the rulers can be great. The rest of us are just the unwashed masses, the chattel, to be ruled over. Think about Every government you've known or has been exposed to, all the power is concentrated at the top to very, very few people. In the case, in, in the you know worst case scenario, it's a dictator, one person, an Adolf Hitler, a Mussolini, a Genghis Khan, a Caesar, an emperor. That all of the power is with one person. He's the only one who can be great. No one else is allowed to be great. And even if you get to our more quote unquote democratic societies of today's age, you still have power concentrated in the hands of a few: the Congress, the politicians. Uh, those those folk, and, you know, and traditionally, it's been things like kings and queens. They they are the only ones who were allowed 
to be great, to be better than anyone else, to be, quote unquote, the royalty. And by the way, as an aside, I just want to say really quick, because because there's been a, a royal wedding in the last uh, couple weeks with Prince, I don't know, Harry or Andrew, I, I don't remember their names. I don't keep up with that stuff. I don't really care about the royals. The only reason I even paid any attention to it is because the person he was marrying, the lady he married happened to be an actress on one of my favorite TV shows, Suits, Meghan Markle. It, it just astounded me that people here in America were so obsessed with it. I don't get why Americans are so obsessed with British royalty. Royalty is so antithetical to what America is all about. America is supposed to be about every every man and woman is created equal. We're all born equal. We're all born with equal value. But and that if you if you want to become great, then you have to work for it and, and you know and, and achieve some kind of greatness on your own. Whereas royalty states that just by you being happen to be happen to be born under in, in with a royal bloodline, that makes you great and better than anyone else. So I, I don't get it. But anyway, that's an aside. Back to our regularly scheduled program. Okay, so remember that that government is run by mystics, mystics of force, which are the kings, and the mystics of spirit, who are the usually the people who are who are at the king's court. Now these mystics, they desire to hold all the value in society. They want all the riches. They want all the power for themselves. And the but the fact that they think that they have all the value that denies the reality of the value that great men offer, and great men do offer value. Great people offer that value. But the problem is, human government can't tolerate the existence of greatness outside of that circle of mystics. Therefore, mystics do everything in their power to discourage, suppress, and control great men. Great men are a threat to human government, and so the mystics attempt to control them. They cannot have people who are not one of them, be it kings and queens or the small council and courts and congresses. They can't have great people popping up all over the place because again, that would people would value them over possibly the the rulers, and they can't have that. Now, here is the huge problem. Here is a problem that I that I, I talked about in, in in the preamble to this podcast. We are all unique. All of human beings are unique. I'm unique. You're unique. Everyone you know is unique. There is no such thing as an average person. I I hate that term when they say, "Oh, though the average person does." There's no such thing as an average person. Everyone is unique. Our spirits are composed of principles. We talked about that in an earlier podcast. And those principles are unique to each of us. We each have unique skills and gifts. No two human beings are the same. I don't care who you, you find two people randomly. They will be different from each other. They are unique. So since we have, you all have uniqueness. And as we said, greatness is when you operate on your uniqueness. That means that every human being on earth has the potential to be great. Which is good news in in the sense that, you know, if you're not great, if you don't think you're great, the good news is that you can be because your uniqueness can lead you to greatness if you operate in it. The bad news is that uniqueness, that greatness makes all of us a threat to our human governors. Now, before I get too too much more into that threat, we will cover it in just a bit. I want to stop and just make sure that you understand personally what I'm saying. 
you are great. You have a greatness to you and you need to find it. Now, if you have found what your unique gift is that, that you operate, that you can operate in and make you great, great. That's awesome. And you will know that because whatever you're doing will make you happy because God designed us all to be unique and he designed us all to have designed us all to have that greatness. And if you are operating in that greatness and you are functioning optimally the way God wanted you to, and you are happy and fulfilled in your life, Unfortunately, the vast, vast majority of us do not operate in that greatness. And mostly because we don't know it. You might think you're average. You might think you're a nobody. You might think that, you know, you're just a cog in the wheel. Nothing special about you. You're just doing your thing. You, you're, you know, you're working your job. You're married. You're got, or you got, and you got kids. You're just trying to get through life and get to retirement and blah, blah, blah. Just the average stuff we talked about in the very, very first podcast that we call What's the Point? I have news for you. You have greatness and the best thing you could possibly do for yourself, for your relationship with God, for your, to, to, for your relationship with other people and for your own personal happiness is to discover what your uniqueness is and to operate in it and to stop operating any in any way that does not allow you to be unique and allow you to operate in your uniqueness. And in these show notes, I'm going to have a link to an organization that was founded by some very good friends of mine whose goal, whose occupation is to help people find their uniqueness and to operate in it and, and to fully be happy. It's, it's called Just Thinking. And um, again, I'm going to link it there. And so I, I can't think of anything better for you to do than to find out what your unique abilities are and to operate in them because that is the only way you will be happy. And that's the only way that you will be the person that God made you to be. All right. End of that plug. Let's get back to human government. Because your greatness, because all of our greatness is a threat to human government, then the mystics of force and of spirit do everything they can to reduce our uniqueness, our individualism. Basically, they want to make us all the same. They want to make us all average. But it doesn't work on, on on a natural level because, again, we're all unique. The only, the only way they can do it is by forcing us, again, through laws, through suppression of our of our uniqueness to to be to all be the same. Because if that once that uniqueness is suppressed, then, you know, we can we can all be average. I don't know if you, if, we, if you were in school, if you were ever in a class where you were graded on a curve and that when people are graded on a curve, it's basically because they want most of people people to be average to end up in the in the in the the, the, uh, the bell part of the curve and they but if, if we were truly all if we truly all did and thought the same thing then we would all end up being c students there would be no greatness we would all be average and that's what governments want from us i mean it, it sounds pretty bleak and it actually is uh, think about some of all all of the uh, dystopian like novels and movies that you've seen that, that show the you know the, the far bleak future. What's everyone like? Everyone is the same. Everyone is working in some kind of factory. Everyone's wearing gray. The skies are gray. It's just this horrible monotony of of just people looking and acting and working the same. But you also have a few people on top who. Are you know are, are are the top folk who are the you know the government officials or the rulers? Think about novels like um, a Brave New World, where you have people design, uh, put into I think four or five classes: Alpha, Beta, uh, Delta, Gamma, where you have you know the, the lowest people were the were just the menial workers. The ones above that 
were service workers, and then the level about the betas were like the bureaucrats, and then the top you had the alphas, the very small group of people who were you know, the, the free thinkers and the ones who got to enjoy life. Then you have other words like the Time Machine by H.G. Wells, where in the far future people were divided into two categories. You had the the Eloy and the Morlocks. The Eloy were the tall, blonde, beautiful people. Everyone was the same. They, yeah, you know, it was only two groups of people, but you had all. Everyone was tall. Everyone was blonde. Everyone was blue-eyed. Awesome. And then you had the Morlocks, which were the you know short, ugly folk who lived underground. But even though there were only two groups of people, but the, all those two those two groups were all homogenized. And it's something that I guess the uh, the conspiracy theorists called well, predictive programming, which they're trying to tell us that the future is going to be like this. This is what government is moving towards. They're trying to get us to the point where we are all the same. There is no greatness among us. Everyone is at the exact same level. And honestly, it's horrifying. Can you imagine if everyone looked the same and acted the same? The things that we like about folks are about other people is that they bring new things to us. That when we go to, to to countries and explore different cultures, like my wife and I, we we vacationed in Thailand. Very different culture. We loved it. It was beautiful. The people were amazing. We had different types of food. We had different experiences because it wasn't the same as what we see every day. I mean, we live you know here in America. We see the same things every day, all the time, and it's fine. We, you know, it's a beautiful country, but we were we were so happy and thrilled to see the beauty that was someplace else. Why? Because it was different. Things that are different is, is what attracts us to other people. You're not attracted to someone who's exactly the same as you. You're attracted to someone who brings something new to the table, who sees things in a new way, who dresses differently, who thinks differently. And that kind of thing, that, that's what attracts you to them. That's what in, in, enamors you to other people, be it uh, your spouse or your significant other or even friends. You like We like difference. We like diversity. That's how human beings were designed. But the problem is that when you have all that diversity, you don't have control. And the government wants control and they do it through two ways the mystics of force and the mystics of spirit both rule over us but they do two different they do it in two different ways the mystics of force the kings they do it through laws our laws are created to control and homogenize the behavior of the masses through fear of physical punishment for non-compliance and yes laws are fine to keep us from stealing from each other and hurting each other but many of the laws that exist are not just for, to protect us, but to homogenize us. I'll give you an example. In my own neighborhood, in, in my city, in, in the municipality in which I live, there are laws as to what we can do with our own homes. We can only paint our homes in my community a certain color. There, I mean, certain, there's like a, a, a very strict color palette. And if we paint our homes any different than that, then we're in violation. So you can't even express your uniqueness through your home's color. Um, you have to have your 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 um, the foliage around your house trimmed in a certain way. As an example, in my front yard, there's a huge tree, gigantic tree. I mean, it's like it's ridiculously big. And every fall, right around end of October, November, all the leaves fall down, and there's a carpet of leaves on my drive in my driveway. And I spend every weekend for an entire month raking it all, which I hate. So I decided one year that I was going to cut the tree back, just trim it back all the way around and up top so that I don't get all this foliage. Well, when I started doing that, I was alerted by our municipal government that I can only, by law, I can only trim my tree so much. And if I trim it any more than that, I'll be fined by the city. Of course, when I asked the guy, hey, well, is the city going to come out and rake all these leaves in my yard? And of course he said no. But I can't even control my own 
the tree in front of my own home. I mean, granted, it's a benign example, but what they want to do is make everything look the same. They want that similarity, that monotony. They want, they're trying to suppress uniqueness in every way possible, not just through the laws that, that affect our livelihood, but every law imaginable. Another example are hate speech laws. Now, don't get me wrong. I am absolutely against racism and homophobia and all that stuff. I've, I've spoken in the past about racism. I think, you know, how I feel about racism. I think it's the dumbest thing in the world. I and mean, if you are a racist, you're an idiot. You're a moron to think that just because of the way you felt, the color of your skin when you fell out of your mother's womb makes you better than someone else. You're an idiot and it's stupid. However, and, and I'm all for laws against discrimination. You should not, you don't have the right to discriminate or deny another human being their, their right because you don't like the way they look or their lifestyle choices. You cannot deny them rights. And I'm all for any non-discrimination laws. However, hate speech laws are not about discrimination. They're about thought. They're trying to control how you think. You are not allowed to say or think certain things about another person. And even if I disagree with the the actions of racism or, or even homophobia, I mean, I know that yeah, homosexuality is a sin. The Bible is very clear on that. There's no mistaking it. But you know what? So is lying. And while I'm not gay, I'm cert I've certainly lied in the past and probably will do so in the future. And that's a sin as well. And of course, the the, the point is, you're you're if you have the the proclivities of, of homosexuality, you're you know you should turn away from it and and and, um, and go God's way. And same thing, if you lie, you should also stop lying and go God's way. So they're both sins, and they, they both have the same remedy, which is repentance and confession, repentance, and turning to God. The point is. If someone is dealing with homosexuality, I don't consider myself better than them and they, do, they shouldn't be discriminated against. So if you are discriminating against someone because of where they are in their lifestyle, it's wrong. But you can't. But hate speech laws are about getting people not to not, not to stop physically discriminating, but but to get them to think a certain way. And that's wrong. It's, it's, they're trying to homogenize all of our thoughts so that everyone thinks the same way. And again, even though I think if you if you have racist thoughts, you're an idiot, I still defend your right to be an idiot. You have in, in this country, in America, you have the right to be a racist if you want to be. If you want to be a moronic racist, if you want to be a stupid, idiotic, moronic, racist, homophobe, you have the right to do it, even though I find it abhorrent. And I will defend your right to think the way you want to think, because none of us has the right to tell other people how to think. But the government is trying to do this through their laws in order to homogenize us and have us think the same way. And it's all to suppress our greatness. So the mystics of force do it through laws. That's how they try to suppress us. The mystics of spirit, they use a more subtle but arguably more effective method to control us. See, what they do is they take advantage of man's inclination to think comparatively and fear social in the fear of social and religious alienation to get us to actually homogenize ourselves so that you don't have to have someone enforcing the laws. Mankind, we do it, we, we do it to each other. How does that happen? We see people naturally know and understand that we're all unique. You understand that. I didn't have to it wasn't a surprise when I told you you're unique and everyone else around you is also unique. We know that we're different from each other. So what this mystic, mystics of spirit do, they condition people to believe that uniqueness is unjust. They endeavor, they endeavor to convince us that our, that sameness, that conformity is good and that uniqueness is bad. <laughs> they use or, or intentionally misuse socially reactionary terms. And you, you know this if you watch the news or interact with other people. They use these reactionary terms such as such as patriotism, nationalism, 
equality, that's a good one. I'll talk about that in, this, in a minute. Community, race, class, social justice. There's another good one. Political correctness, etc. To advocate that we all think and act the same. You should act like other people in your race. You should, I mean, if you act differently, then you're something wrong. You're a race traitor or you're a sellout. You should, you should act a certain way about about your country. If you if you don't, you're not you're 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 not a patriot, or you're not a. Or, and, and if you don't believe what we believe about how people should behave, then you don't believe in social justice. You're not politically correct. All of this, they use that peer pressure to get us all to think and act a certain way. God help you if you live in a liberal part of the country and you support a conservative president or, or conservative values. You're going to be ostracized. Same thing if you have a liberal liberal or progressive mindset and you, and you live in a conservative part of the country. People are going to shout you down and they are going to suppress you. Why? Because they, every, they want people to think the same in these big groups. Because the more they can get you to think the same as other people, the less unique you will be. I mean, if anyone tries to express their uniqueness in thought or action or deed, they are ridiculed, ostracized, demeaned, discouraged, and rejected from deviating from the norm by your fellow man. See, acting in your uniqueness makes you abnormal. And normal, quote unquote normal, is acting and thinking like everybody else. And there is no more perfect example of this than adolescents and teenagers in, high, in junior high school and high school. Because, And I believe that a lot of our a lot of the way things happen in, in our high schools and junior highs are, are engineered by mystics who, who use the natural inclinations of teenagers. Because let's be honest, adolescents and teenagers are naturally jerks. You knew when you were growing up, you were either a jerk or people acted like a jerk to you when you were a teenager. And there is no more pertinent cauldron of this type of conformity than schools. Think about it. When you were in school, if you wanted to get along with other people, what did you have to do? You had to be like them. You had to dress the same. You had to act the same. And the people who got the worst, who got it the worst in high school socially, in junior high school, socially were people who were what? Who were different, who were unique, who expressed themselves in a way that was different than the norm. For example, when I was growing up, uh, the big thing, and it's, it's kind of big now, but not to the same degree, the big thing was wearing sports jerseys. It was, a, you, you would wear the sports jersey of a certain team and Everybody, everybody did it. So if you wanted to fit in, if you wanted to not be ridiculed, if you wanted to fit in with the in crowd, you wore a sports jersey. And I grew up in Los Angeles. And at the time I was growing up, the Los Angeles Lakers was everyone's favorite team because they, I mean, they, they kind of, I mean, they're, they're terrible now. But at the time, they were great. They were always in championship games and playoffs and all that kind of stuff. We wore Laker jerseys. And if you, as long as you wore your Laker jersey and your jeans and your Nike shoes, you were fine. No one paid attention to you. You were able to get along. But if you didn't do that, off you went. You, they, there was one guy I remember him distinctly. He would, I think he was a unique, a unique guy. He probably had some greatness to him. He would intentionally wear a Celtics jersey, and Celtics are oil and Laker and Celtics are oil and water to each other as far as as basketball is concerned. He would wear a Celtics jersey, I think, intentionally just to make people upset, and he would upset me. But now I kind of admire him for doing that. But again, you know that if anyone who deviated from the norm was ostracized, if you were too, if you were overweight, ostracized. If you were too skinny, ostracized. Too short, you were teased. Too tall, you were teased. Everyone, as long as you acted like everyone else, you were fine. If you deviated from that norm, you were ostracized. That's what society does. They try to keep us, we, we, we police ourselves for the mystics by keeping everyone in line and keeping us all acting and thinking the same way. But here's the question. 
If we are all unique, why is it so easy for the mystics to manipulate us into suppressing our uniqueness? The reason is because on a certain level, the idea of everyone being the same appeals to us. It appeals to our comparative side. See, our desire to be great and appreciate the greatness of others competes with our comparative tendencies. On one hand, God made us to be unique. God made us to appreciate the uniqueness of others. And those differences, differences like I, I talked about before with the trip to Thailand, which a completely different culture. My wife and I loved it. So on one hand, the godly part of us, the part of us that God designed to live in our uniqueness and enjoy the uniqueness of others appreciates that. I love unique people. They bring new things to the table. They expose me to new things. They help me grow. Big thing. Uniqueness helps you grow. And I appreciate that. But on the other hand, my sinful nature, our, all of our sinful nature, our fallen nature, leads us to fear that our uniqueness may be less valuable than someone else's. Uh-huh. I think you're starting to get where I'm going here. Comparative thinkers, prideful people hate great folks. They hate great people because comparative thinkers fear, or at least mystics have taught them to fear, that another person's greatness is a threat to their own and their relative sense of value and self-worth. Think about one of the big things. What is the big thing right now for people to hate? Rich people. Oh, there is no there is no worse thing you can be right now in America than a rich person. If you're a rich person, if you're a one percenter, then you're evil. Isn't that idiotic? And it's such a turnaround from the way things were just a few decades ago, where we admired people who achieved greatness and who, you know, built who built businesses and were and became rich. We all wanted to be rich, don't we? Don't isn't everyone's goal to be rich and live in a big house and have a big car and you know fly wherever you want? That used to be the goal, but now if you are rich you're a one percenter. You, you, you're, you're an oppressor. You're evil. Seriously? But that's the way it is. What we're trying to do, we're trying to bring the rich people down. And celebrities are another great example of it. The only thing we love more than... We have this weird relationship with our celebrities. We worship them, but we also want to see them fall. The only thing we love more than worshiping our celebrities is when they fall. There, you, you can think of any example. I mean, what's the current one? Bill Cosby. Bill Cosby, America's dad, The Cosby Show. We all love The Cosby Show. We love Bill Cosby. He was great. But the only thing we love more than seeing Bill Cosby on TV is watching him fall. Watch, and I'm not going to get into whether what he did and what he didn't do. It's not important. But the, the thing is that we love seeing our celebrities crash and burn. Because here's the thing. If we can't rise to the level of another's greatness, and we all have our insecurities where we don't think, where we think that if somebody is doing better than us in financially in some way, that they're not as great as we are. But again, think about it. If you're an artist, if your uniqueness is the ability to paint and someone else's uniqueness is, you know, being an NBA player, then the the, the, the likelihood is you're not going to make as much money as the NBA player. If you are someone who's just spectacularly unique at, again, painting pictures on canvas and selling them to people, you're not going to make as much money as LeBron James. You're just not. That doesn't mean LeBron James has more value than you. We're going to talk about value in just a second. It just means that, you know, the way society is currently set up, Great basketball players make more than than great painters. It just is what it is. It doesn't mean he's better than you or has more value than you. But society wants us to believe that. They want you to believe that, well, you know, he doesn't deserve to make more money than me. I'm just as good as he is. Who is he? He's nobody. So the thing is, if we now think that if we can't rise to the level of another's greatness, or think that's what the mystics want us to think, if we can't rise to another's greatness, then we're content to bring that great person, that great person down to a normal level. We, if we can't be rich, then let's take all the rich person's money. You know, if we can't be famous, then let's take that famous person down and just 
take get rid of all their fame and make them just a regular old Joe like us. They want, they want to bring the great people down to our nor, quote unquote normal level. Modern day mystics call this equality. And I know I'm going over time, but I, I want to talk about this, this whole equality thing. It is the misuse of a great word. Equality in its essence is awesome. Equality means, here's a real definition of equality. The, the subjective, excuse me, the objective definition of equality is that every person is equally valuable. We are all valued, whether you're a man or a woman, black or white, rich or poor, as a human being, you have value and we all have equal value. No one is better than anyone else based on what they've achieved or, or who they are or how they were born. We all have value. That's what equality states, and that's fine. But the misuse of equality that the current mystics have, have put on us, equality means that everyone is the same. And that's not true. And you will find no greater example of that than in the current state of relationships between men and women socially. And so I'm going to, so forgive me, I'm going to go off on, on a little rant on this because it's something that really bugs me. And let me start this off by saying I am not a sexist. I do not believe that women are less than men. I believe in actual equality. I believe that men and women are equally valuable. However, men and women are different and good. Thank God for those differences. I love the fact that women are different than men and that they have different aspects that men don't have and that men have different aspects that women don't have. And when we, and we work together and we, and we value each other's uniqueness as men and women, then we have harmony. Unfortunately, society tells, don't, when society say that men and women should be equal, they mean that men and women should be the same. And that's wrong and it's tearing us down. And I'm going to have a sneak peek into um, a podcast I'm going to do, probably about three or four podcasts from now, when we talk about Satan and the fallen angels, which is one of the most popular series on the blog. But understand this, that behind all of our human governments is our demonic powers. Every human government has some type of demonic entity behind it. Satan want, Satan rules. He's the god of this age, the god of this world. And we are... We are um, we're foolish if we don't recognize that he is the power behind the power. And what does he want? He wants what he's always wanted. Satan has no imagination. We'll talk about that in a few podcasts when we talk about him. He has no creativity. All he can do is repeat the same patterns, the same patterns he's done over and over again. What was his first pattern? His first pattern was to disrupt God's hierarchy. God set up a hierarchy in Eden where God was on top. God What's what give instructions to man? Man would give, would give instructions to, to woman, and they would both rule over creation. So God ruled over man. Man ruled over woman. Man and woman ruled over creation. Not because man was better than woman, but because God set God's a God of order. He set up a hierarchy, even in the Trinity. All all members of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are all equal. Yet they have a hierarchy. God the Father is number one. The Son is number two. The Holy Spirit is number three. Doesn't mean the Holy Spirit is is two times less godly than God the Father? No, they, they're all God. They've just all um, equally decided to um, be in a harmonious hierarchy. They agreed to it. And God put that hierarchy with man and woman, that man was to rule over woman. That's God's hierarchy. Satan turned that around. He, he being a created being, was supposed to be number three. But what, he, what did he do? He tried to rule over Eve by telling her what to do, by, by eat the forbidden fruit. Eve ruled over Adam by telling Adam to eat the forbidden fruit. And then when Adam ate it, Adam tried 
to rule over God by, you know, telling God that it was his fault that all this happened because he created a woman. Of course, God didn't fall for it because he's God. But the point is that Satan has always wanted to disrupt that hierarchy. There is something about women, especially, that he wants to, and women, and, and the relationship between men and women that he wants to disrupt. So one of the ways he does this is by having his mystics mess with that hierarchy. And, and the way they do it is through this false idea of equality. And I'm, I'm all for feminism in, in, in the sense that women should be valued equally to men. And throughout, throughout much of our human history, admittedly, men have seen women as less valuable. And that's wrong. Women are equally valuable to men. And true, true feminism just reinforces the idea that women have value and that their value is no less than men. And I'm all for that. On the other hand, you have a radical feminism that does the opposite. And in fact, when you get down to it, radical feminists, not only are, are they wrong in, in what they're trying to do, they actually, when you get down to their real message, they tacitly admit that men are superior to women. How do they do that? Well, let's look at what feminists say. What, what is the feminist, uh, what, what, what's, their, what's their calling card? What's their, their code word, their favorite phrase right now? The strong woman. That's right. You got to have the strong woman. If you're a woman, you got to be strong. You strong woman. What does strong woman really mean? Well, you would think that it means, in, in an objective sense, a strong person is someone who does what's difficult. Doing what's difficult takes strength. Doing what's easy does not take strength. So a strong woman should be a woman who does things that are difficult. For example, I have a friend who is in her 30s who is a virgin. And I asked her why, how she held out so long. And she told me because she wants to be pure for her husband. That's a strong woman. That takes a lot of strength to hold out into your 30s and not sleeping with any man because you want to be pure for your husband. She's a strong woman. But that's not what society says a strong woman is. Society says a strong woman is basically a woman who acts like a man. A strong woman in, in any... Pop, part of pop culture is a woman who the strongest woman is a woman who acts manliest. Oh, a strong woman is a woman who can out drink, out fight, out cuss, and out sex any man. Isn't that what they tell us a strong woman is? Is that really strength? No, it's the opposite. But we see it all the time. In Hollywood, they have something called the establishing shot in, in movies and TV. The establishing shot is when you're first introdu introduced to a character and they want you to understand the essence of this character. So they have the character when they first appear on the screen doing something that gives you the mindset of that character. And when it's a strong woman, which is almost in every movie and TV show, when you first see her, what is she doing? She's either fighting or cussing or drinking or climbing out of bed with a man. That's what, that's what your strong woman is. But the funny thing is, they don't just tell the quote-unquote strong woman to be a man. They tell them to actually embody the worst aspects of men. The strong woman is supposed to embody all the things that women don't like about men. What are the things that, what are the negative things that women don't like about men? About promiscuity, that we sleep around too much, that, you know, violence and abuse, that, you know, rude, boorish behavior. But that's what the so-called strong woman in these movies and TV shows always is. She's always promiscuous. She's always rude and boorish. She's always abusive or violent. I mean, how many times have you seen the ridiculous sight of a 98-pound woman who's, you know, the, the, the hero of the, of, the, of the show beating the crap out of a room full of 250-pound guys? 
ridiculous. Not because women can't fight or can't learn martial arts, but I don't care how many martial arts classes you've taken. You've taken. If you're 98 pounds, you cannot beat up a room full of 250-pound men. Why? Physics. Not because of your skill level, but because you just don't have the physical strength to do it. And for any woman who thinks I'm being sexist by saying that, let me ask you a question. If, if you ran into a four-year-old boy who had been taking Taekwondo classes all, you know, for, for, for three or five years and had a black belt, could he beat you up? No, not because he doesn't have the skills. He's not strong enough. It's just ridiculous, but we always see it. This, you know, these little tiny waifs, these 98-pound women just throwing big, gigantic men through windows and just kick him in the stomach and they just ball, ball over and it's, it's ridiculous. It's just physically impossible. But they're trying to turn a hierarchy around by telling women to act like men. But think about this. And here's where feminism tacitly admits, radical feminism tacitly admits that, that men are superior. If your goal as a strong woman is to be like a man, then what does that say about femininity? Whatever you are aspiring to is what you think is better, right? No one aspires to something they think is worse. So if you're if you're a woman and you're told to aspire to be a man, then aren't you tacitly admitting that being a man is better than being a woman? If, you're, if your aspiration is to be like a man, then you're saying that what I am now as a woman is less than a man. That women are inferior and that men are superior. That's why you're. That's why I want to be a man. That's why I want to be this quote unquote strong woman who acts manly. So radical feminists are telling you to that men are superior. That's because that's what you should try to be. And what's lost in all of this is true femininity. Femininity is looked at upon as weak. If being strong is being a man, then being weak is being a woman, isn't it? I mean, isn't that isn't that the logical conclusion to come to? And that's what radical feminists. Feminism tells women, and it's wrong, and it's hurtful, and it's destroying not only men's lives and destroying the lives of the women and, and, and destroying their true self-confidence by telling them not to be feminine. But one thing I will, do want to tell women to encourage, to encourage them on this is that if it's the goal of the governments and, and the mystics of society and, and Satan behind that, if they want so badly to destroy feminism, then femininity rather, then that tells you that whatever femininity is, it's a huge threat to Satan. If it was, if you, you as a woman are a threat to Satan, you being a true woman, being feminine, being beautiful, being truly strong, protecting yourself, protecting your chastity, protecting your body, protecting who you are as a woman of God is terrifying to Satan. If it wasn't, he wouldn't be trying so hard to destroy it. He doesn't try as hard to destroy manliness. He tries some ways, I me mean, with the with the idiotic uh, idea of toxic masculinity, as if you know my being a male makes me is toxic. That's stupid. But Satan has a special hatred for women, and I believe that's because he sees women as a vital threat to him. So just know that you as a woman are a huge threat to Satan. In some ways, even a bigger threat to him than men are because he's fighting so hard to destroy the unique things that make you a woman. And unfortunately in society, that destruction is is put into the guise of equality. It's not equality. Men and women are equally valuable, but we are not the same. And don't let anyone else ever tell you that. Equality is not sameness. Equality is a value. All right, end of rant. All right. Let's wrap this up. The question that's begged by all this is, what about God? If our uniqueness is what keeps us from being ruled, then how does God fit in? Because after all, doesn't God want to rule us? Doesn't God want us to dedicate ourselves to him? Because after all, going back to the 
to the um, the idea of, of governments and things like that, the governments always want us to dedicate ourselves. Human rulers want us to dedicate ourselves to something else. Because if you dedicate yourself, why? Because if you dedicate yourself to another human being, to another man-made institution, man-made institution, be it a king or a dictator or a priest, or even to, to concepts like the people, you know, whenever you see a, a rally, people marching, power to the people, blah, blah, blah. Or if you dedicate yourself to humanity, we have to do this for humanity. I'm dedicating my life to humanity. Or the big one now is the environment. Oh, I'm dedicated to the environment, to saving the environment, or to your political party. Oh, I'm a Democrat. I'm a Republican. This is my party. Or even to your race, you know, white power, black power, blah, blah, blah. Whatever you dedicate yourself to, if you dedicate yourself to it, you will lose yourself. Anytime you dedicate yourself to something outside of yourself, you will lose yourself. You will lose your uniqueness, and then you can you can be ruled as long as your uniqueness goes away. And if you deny your uniqueness, your uniqueness, then you can be ruled. But again, God wants us to dedicate us to dedicate ourselves to him, doesn't he? All throughout the Bible, we're to dedicate ourselves to God. So does that mean God wants to suppress our uniqueness? No, not at all. Why? Because when you are dedicated to God, you are dedicated to the one being in the universe who wants you to be unique. See, God's plan for us is to rule with him, not under him. In, in uh, Romans chapter 8, Paul states, states an incredible, uh, incredible statement. He says that when we, are, when we are saved, when we are with God, we are co-heirs, H-E-I-R-S, co-heirs with Christ. What is an heir? An heir is the person who inherits from, from, their, from, their, from their progenitor. You know, I'm, I'm my, fa my father and mother's heir. When they pass away, I'm going to get everything that's theirs. I, I, I own all that they have. If we are co-heirs with Christ, then that means that we ha are, can take possession of everything that God has. And what does God have? God has everything. God rules. And if we are going to be co-heirs with Christ, we are going to be on equal terms with God. That's mind-blowing. God's plan for us is meant to result in more of what he already has. Remember that when we talked about the meaning of life. God has everything. God is a God does God's desire is to have more of what he already has. What does he already have? Well, he has the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in a perfect loving relationship. How can you have more than three in a perfect relationship? Well, you can have four in a perfect fellowship rather than a relationship. That fourth person is the bride. That's us, the church. God's plan is for us to be on part of the Trinity or quadrinary as I called it. That's an amazing destiny. But the only way for us to do that is if we have the ability to grow. By definition, growth means we cannot remain the same. We cannot have sameness. We cannot have be conformed. We have to become greater and more valuable than what we are in order to achieve what God wants us to be in his plan. And we can only be more and have greater value by operating in our uniqueness. Remember, uniqueness and greatness brings value. Sameness brings nothing. If we're all the same, then there is no value being generated. However, if we are all different, bringing different things to the table, then we can bring value to ourselves and to those around us. God's plan requires that we be unique. God's plan for us is antithetical to the goals of human government. And that is why every government that the mystics put in place is always, always hostile to the God of the Bible and violently opposes people who follow God. Every government is, is either is either agnostic towards God or openly hostile to him. 
And in America and Europe, we're basically agnostic to God, even though we're becoming more hostile to him. Then you have, you know, the Islamic governments around the world and communism, which are openly hostile to God. And again, if you look at, at America now, we're with our ridiculous separation of church and state, which is not in the Constitution. You won't find it in word or intention in the Constitution. It's ridiculous. But we are moving to a, to a stance that's more and more hostile to God. Why? Because God wants us to be unique. He wants Christians to know that and, and, and encourage it. And God encourages it to us. But again, uniqueness is a is an obstacle to human government. So human governments do not want us to be like God. They don't want us to be unique. So they all governments always are in some level of agnostic, agnosticism or outright hostility towards the God of the Bible. Every government, even if they start in a godly manner, as this country, America, did, they will eventually evolve into a point where they are openly hostile to God because they need for people to not be unique. And that is basically the reason why governments fail and will always fail until God sets up his final government, which will finally allow us to not be completely moral as we are saved through him. And we can be always a completely right and just with him and through him, excuse me. And we can operate in our uniqueness to continue to grow and be a part of the body of Christ. And everybody, every cell in our body has a function. And, a, and we need all of the cells in our body to function correctly and optimally in their uniqueness in order for us to grow. And that's what heaven is going to be like. Heaven will be all of us operating in our uniqueness, being bringing value to each other, to ourselves, and most importantly, to God. That's why he created us. That's why the only successful government that will ever exist will be the, that government because it will allow us to, because in that government we will be completely moral and we will be completely unique and we will continue to bring value to each other and to God eternally. And that's a fantastic thing. All right, I've gone way over. Sorry about that. But it's time to move on. But I, I want to wrap that up and I thought it was very important to understand. So now it's on to the next dispensation. This wraps up the third dispensation. Now let's move on to the fourth. So where are we going to go in the fourth dispensation? Well, if we look at what's been happening in the first three, we have to see that God in the first three dispensations have pretty much given man kind of an open hand to, 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 to discover him and to choose him. He's given him in the first dispensation, he gave us just one single rule. Don't eat of this tree and you know, pretty open ended there. And in the second dispensation was even more open. He just allowed men to, to gain knowledge and hope that, you know, by gaining knowledge, it would eventually come to him. In the third dispensation, he gave man a sense of urgency and community to, and and they still didn't choose to, to be with God and to choose God over himself. So now it would seem it would only be just for God to start giving man some guidelines, some instructions. And we are going to start talking about that in the fourth dispensation, where God does give man some parameters with which in, in, to operate in in order to choose him. And that starts with a man by the name of Abraham. And the fourth dispensation, which is the dispensation of the patriarchs, is what we will, we will begin to discuss in the next podcast and that will lead us into our discussion of Satan and the fallen angels and the dark side which is again something that's been very very popular on the blogs so thank you for listening Norman, way over again um, thanks for hanging in there with me please subscribe to the podcast um, follow me on social media and I will talk to you next week